This evening's reading is from Micah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. You can find it in the uh, church Bible on page 634. I encourage you to read along with me, so uh, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand and Andy will gladly give it to you. And if you'd like uh, a Bible to take home for yourself, uh, consider this a gift uh, from Cornerstone to you. Again, Micah chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. Look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth, the mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before fire, like water rushing down a slope. All this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is tr Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the, into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will again be used. Because of this, I will weep and wail. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal and moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. It has spread to Judah. It has reached the very great gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In Beth Ophrah, roll in the dust. Pass by naked in the shame and in shame, you who live in Sapphire. Those who live in Zanan will not come out. Beth Ezel is in mourning. It no longer protects you. Those who live in Marath writhe in pain, waiting for relief, because disaster has come from the Lord, even to the gate of Jerusalem. You who live in Lachish, harness fast horses to the chariot. You are where the sin of daughter Zion began, for the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore, you will give parting gifts Gifts to Morasheth Gath, the town of Aksib, will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. I will conquer. I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Marasheth. The nobles of Israel will flee to Adalim. Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as a vulture, for they will go from you into exile. The word of the Lord. I think you'll get extra reward in heaven for reading that passage, John. Good job. 
All right. Um, before I start uh, the sermon for tonight, I want to make sure everyone got one of the little white pieces of paper. So if you did not get the white piece of paper with the two questions, it came in the bulletin, but there were some extras that I printed out. Would you raise your hand? So if you didn't get one, please raise your hand. And we have a couple up here. It's apparently this side uh, it was neglected uh, and didn't get as many. If you could keep your hand raised until Bruce sees you, that would be great. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Bruce. We will come back to that sheet. You can certainly read it and begin to think about it, but we'll come back to that during uh, the message. All right. I hope we had enough. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for um, this minor prophet. Uh, who has a big message. Uh, We pray that you would sink uh, this passage deep into our heart, uh, deep into our mind, deep into our lives. Um, Would we walk away from your word this week, next week, week after week, changed, changed by you, who's molding us and shaping us. Uh, We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Did you know start with an interesting fact. Did you know that when the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. was rebuilt in the late 19th century, prominent religious leaders came together and they considered like notable quotes that they could engrave, that they can inscribe on the walls. And from all of the options that they had out there, all the different religions, they chose Micah 6.8 as the motto for the alcove on religion. This is the inscription. It's not very uh, high def, but you can kind of read it. It says, What doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? Uh, So if any of you go to the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., please take a new picture uh, and send it to me. I'd love to see it. Chances are, this is not the first time that you have heard of the book of Micah, or that you've actually read a scripture from Micah. Micah 6.8, maybe you've heard that passage. Well, maybe you've heard of this passage, Micah 4.3, maybe this sounds familiar. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So that's a passage that you might have run into from the book of Micah that sounds familiar. How about this one that you might have heard at Christmas time, read about the birth of Christ Jesus? But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So it's cool to see that although we don't study Micah perhaps very often in a church setting, you already have some familiarity. And if these verses are completely new to you, that's okay too. By the end of this series, uh, they'll all be familiar to you. But even though you might have read or heard of the book of Micah, some of these famous passages, you might be thinking, well, what does Micah have to, to do with us? See, Micah's like one of those short 
prophetic books in the, the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scripture. And if you have ever memorized the, the Old Testament, the order, maybe you get it mixed up of like when Micah falls. Does it come before Joel or after Joel, Amos, Obadiah? Like where does it fall? Uh, it might not stand out as a significant book, but all of God's word is significant. And I want to talk today about why Micah. Like, why are we going through this book? Why are we going through this prophetic uh, book? Because I do believe it's worth reading, and I believe that it matters for us today. And I hope that by the end of the sermon series, as, as you come and, and listen and engage with the book of Micah, maybe even read it some on your own, that you will understand why Micah, that it will make sense. So I want to begin by looking at just the first couple verses and answering this question, why Micah? And the first answer is that so that we might know the real God better, so that we might know God better. Now, it's easy to say, like, all Scripture matters, right? Every book of the Bible matters. There's, there's 66 books. Uh, they're all important, and that's true. But in each book of the Bible, we encounter God himself. We encounter a revelation of God. It's all the same God, but we encounter different perspectives. And I want to read verse 1 because it kind of hints at meeting God in the name Micah itself. It says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So notice that God's word, it comes and it speaks to us in a certain time, in a certain place, in a, in a real world situation with real kings and, and real kind of things that are happening. And I want to actually uh, break down Micah's name for you because it's through these events, through his prophecy that he reveals who God is. Now Micah, maybe some of you know this, but Micah, the, the name means who is like Yahweh. Who is like Yahweh or who is like God? Now, I am certainly no Hebrew expert, uh, but I wanted to try to break it down for you. So on the screen, we have Micah, and right to the, the right of it, we have it in Hebrew. Now, in Hebrew, you, you read from right to left. English, we, we read from left to right. So Hebrew, me, who is, ka, like, and then the, the abbreviated form of Yahweh, Yahweh. So Mika is who is like Yahweh. So you can go to your friends tomorrow and say, hey, do you know what Micah means in Hebrew? And then you can tell them it means who is like Yahweh. But there's a, like, there, there's a message in that, right? Who is like Yahweh? Well, no one is like Yahweh. No one is like God. God is, is completely unique and, and different and other. He is God. So I think it's wonderful how Micah in his very name is introducing the God that we're going to encounter in the scriptures, that we're going to encounter in this book. And I hope that each one of us will encounter this same God that is, uh, is completely different, completely other and unique. And if you look at kind of the structure of the book of Micah, at the very end, Micah actually kind of comes back to this theme. Micah chapter 7, verse 18 says this. Uh, I think I skipped ahead or I forgot. I'm going to read it here. 
Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. So you can hear it uh, in this verse. Who is a God like you? He says again in chapter 7. See, Micah is a man who knew and experienced God. He knew God and he experienced God. Now, the, the wonderful thing about this book is that it really focuses on God. It doesn't necessarily focus that much on who Micah is. Now, if you compare him against some of the other prophets, we maybe have a little bit more idea of some of those other prophets. But Micah, we don't know much about him. Uh, he's from the town of Morasheth which is a kind of a farming region. It's about 22 miles southwest of Jerusalem near the, the Philistine territory. Now, he prophesied during the reign of three kings that we see here, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And that's in between the years of 750 and 686 B.C. So uh, that's, that's 750 years to 686 years before Christ. Hosea and Isaiah were two of the other prophets that prophesied around his time. But all these things are interesting and they kind of give us a context. They help us put it in a certain time and place. And, and Micah wants us to know that, that God cares about real times and real places and interacts with real events in history. But the thing that he's going to be focusing on is God's holiness and God's justice, as those things encounter reality, as those encounter our world. Verse 2 says this in our Micah chapter 1. Hear, you peoples, all of you. Listen, earth, and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. See, Micah is a prophet, and prophets were kind of like lawyers. They were lawyers kind of on behalf of God, delivering God's message. He's a, a covenant lawyer. Now, uh, a covenant is a promise where God is involved. And you may remember uh, from the book of Exodus that God's formed a, a special covenant with the nation of Israel. He, he formed a covenant that said, hey, if you obey me, I will bless you. And if you disobey me, I will curse you. And so what have the people done? Well, they have disobeyed God by worshiping idols. They have disobeyed God by instead of trusting in God uh, when foreign political alliances are, are coming against them and foreign armies are coming against them, instead of trusting in God, they trust in, well, other nations to deliver them. They've disobeyed God once again. And the evils that are a result of this are just innumerable and awful. And so what is God doing? He is being a witness against them. God is taking them to court. He is going to judge them. See, it's, it's kind of tempting to imagine that God is like that, that kind and gentle grandpa who, who just loves it when you come to see him and will tell you the most interesting and fascinating stories but doesn't really care what you do, doesn't really care how you live. Maybe that's your conception of, of who God is, right? God is love. Well, that's certainly true. God is love, but love is not God. Love is not God. God is love, but he's also more than love. He's also holy. He's also just. And so if you want to know the real God, it can't just be a God of your imagination or what you prefer to believe. 
It has to be the God who has revealed himself through his word, through the scripture. I don't know about you, but I'm not coming here just so that I can imagine a God. I'm coming here so that I can encounter the real God. And that's why we're here tonight. And the God we encounter in the book of Micah is a God who is willing to judge those he loves. He's willing to to bring hurt and to actually wound those he loves in order to deliver them, in order to deliver his people, the Israelite people. He's willing to bring pain and judgment. Now, sometimes we think, well, you can't be loving and inflict pain, right? But that's not true. I wanted to share an example of, of kind of what we might do in a situation where you can't just be nice, but you are showing love. This uh, example came from a commentary I read, and it gave the example, and it's a serious example, uh, but I think it's a true example, of someone addicted to drugs. Now, this is a serious thing, but I want you to imagine that someone you love, someone you care about, is addicted to drugs. And uh, they are, maybe this is a brother, uh, a sister, a father, a mother, a child, a cousin. Maybe it's just a close friend. And these drugs, are, they're tearing their life apart. And you're watching this, this, this person be torn apart by the drugs, by the addiction. Uh, they are hurting themselves. They're, they're, they're alienating their relationships. They're alienating you. Their entire life is becoming about this one thing. Now, would it be loving to go to that person and say, you know, hey, maybe you should stop. Like, hey, if you're up for it, you should get off these drugs. You should really come clean because if you keep going, it'll really hurt you. But, you know, this is your life, and I support you no matter your decision. So if you want to continue to do the drugs, I support that. Well, the first part of that sounded pretty loving, right? You're trying to go to someone. You're trying to have a conversation. But the second part, it wasn't so loving, right? In fact, as we watch something tear someone apart that we love, it should make us angry, right? It's actually loving to be angry about what's happening to that person, to say, get off the drugs, stop it, to cut them off from your funds, to make sure that you're not enabling them. And that person's not going to like that, right? They're not going to be enthusiastic about you uh, taking serious their addiction, but it's going to be the loving thing to do, right? There is love in the pain. There is love in the boundaries and in the hurt, Because the ultimate goal is a restoration of life, a restoration of hope, of vitality. See, the anger, the judgment, it's actually holiness, and it's truly loving. And so we see kind of an example of that in the book of Micah, that God is angry about the sin, the addiction that is tearing his people apart, that is wounding them and hurting them, and he is willing to inflict pain in order to deliver them and to rescue them, to restore them. And so, do you want to know this God? This God doesn't particularly sound very safe. He's not safe, but he is good. He's loving. He's kind, but he's also truthful and just. I want to know this God of 
justice better. So why Micah? So that we might know the real God better. Now why else Micah? I want to kind of draw this next point from verses 3 through 16. Why Micah? So that we might recognize and repent of our idols and injustices. Now, I'm not going to read all the verses uh, from 3 through 16. Uh, John did such a great job of reading them that I don't feel like I need to do it again. Uh, but I do want to summarize some of these verses for you. So if you can kind of follow along in the text. If you look down at verses 3 through 5, the Lord has come down in judgment against a city. The city is Samaria. Samaria is the capital of Israel. Now, when I talk about Israel, sometimes I use this word in different ways. Sometimes I refer to like the entire people of Israel, and that can be kind of confusing because Israel was also a geographic region. It was like northern Israel. There was northern Israel, and then there was southern Judah. And this is kind of the, the nation of Israel, the region uh, uh, that, that, we, that we find ourselves in this book. And each region had a capital. There was Samaria and northern Israel, and there was Jerusalem and southern Judah. And hopefully by the end of the service, we're going to watch a little video that will put up a map. So this will become a little bit more clear, but I at least wanted to introduce uh, this to you tonight. Now, the nation we call Israel, the northern nation, it actually, uh, through a civil war in around 930 B.C., that's when it split. So several hundred years before where we are right now, it split into two kingdoms, and uh, both were sinning against God. We see this in verses 6 through 7. But in, in 6 through 7, Micah specifically calls out Samaria. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap of rubble. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay her foundations bare. All her idols will be broken in pieces. See, Northern Samaria has done some wicked things. It has created idols. And I wanted to kind of define idols in our context. I really like this quote from Micah for You by Stephen Um. It says, Idolatry is choosing one's own will above God's will. It is giving ultimate allegiance, which deserves to be given to God alone, to another object of worship, another object of affection. We'll certainly talk about how we can do that later, but for now, I wanted to focus on how northern Samaria, northern Israel does this. What type of idolatry did they commit? Well, when they went through the civil war in 930 BC, the, the guy who, who led the north uh, was Jeroboam. Now, uh, Jeroboam had this realization that if his people and his region uh, were going to worship God, they were going to have to go to the temple. The temple was located in Jerusalem, which is the capital of the southern kingdom, Judah. And he didn't want the people to go down there because then it would begin to re-knit the nation. And so what did Jeroboam do? He made two golden calves. And he placed them in his country uh, and said, here's your God, worship them. Now, maybe that sounds familiar, right? Exodus, where there's the, uh, a, a, a creation of a golden calf. They're making a similar mistake again. They're creating an idol. And just like that idol led to destruction at Sinai, this idol leads to destruction and forsaking the one true God. That means people stopped worshiping the real God because they could see this nice golden calf. And for some reason, that was more attractive to them than the kind of unsafe but true and real Yahweh. 
And what Micah is saying is that idolatry, that sin of northern Samaria has infected Jerusalem. It has infected Judah and it is bringing them down. And now the whole nation of Judah has committed idolatry as well. And it's, it's pretty neat that in the next kind of uh, verses, 10 through 15, Micah begins to call out the cities that have committed idolatry. He begins to, 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 to cast judgment on specific places. Now, if, if Micah was writing today, he would say things like, uh, well, Lowell and Chelmsford and, and Westford. He would kind of name our towns and our communities that are near us. But he's writing in this, this uh, ancient Middle Eastern context, and so he calls out the towns uh, in that time. And, and we don't really get this in the English translations, but when he casts judgment, he actually casts judgment using wordplay. And so, like, he, he, he will use a name for a town, right, Schaefer and Beth Ophrah and Gath, and then he has a corresponding, like, curse, a corresponding judgment against them. But it actually rhymes with, or kind of sounds like the name of the town. So the judgment sounds like the name of the town. And since the NIV doesn't capture it, I've brought the Two Horizons commentary to kind of read through these verses, their translation. So I think you'll get a pretty good grasp of kind of the, the, the true uh, judgment that we're encountering in this, this scripture passage. So verse 10 goes like this, in tell town, don't tell it. So Gath, verse 10 in the NIV says, tell it not in Gath. Well, it's like saying, in tell town, don't tell it. In dust house, roll in the dust. It's Beth Ophrah, dust house. Verse 11, get yourselves out of there in nakedness and shame, residents of beauty town. No exit for exit town. The mourning of neighbor town means no more neighbor. Verse 12, for the residents of Bitterville hoped for better. For war has come down from Yahweh to the gate of the city of peace. It's Jerusalem. Verse 13, bind the chariot to the harness, residents of harness town. Verse 14, therefore you will give parting gifts to inheritance of Gath. The house of deception will prove deceptive to the kings of Israel. Verse 15, I will bring a conqueror to conquering town and unto the land of the caves will flee the glory of Israel, Adullam. So you kind of grasp that there are these curses that Micah is, is saying, these judgments upon, upon these cities that kind of matches their identity. Now, I just went home for vacation to Estes Park, Colorado. And as you imagine Estes Park, you imagine a really nice place, right? A beautiful place. Estes Park is situated right next to Rocky Mountain National Park. A park is usually like an outdoor area where you can go and enjoy lakes and streams, maybe paths. Uh, you can get some fresh air. You can hear the birds chirping. It's just a wonderful kind of sunshine-filled place. And that's kind of like what Estes Park is like. Now, what if the town came together and said, we are going to rename our town, and we have decided to rename our town from Estes Park to Estes Dump? Well, would you be attracted? Like, would you be like, man, I can't wait to go to Estes Dump. What a, what a wonderful city. I, I, no, they would lose money. Like, people wouldn't want to go to Estes Dump. They want to go to Estes Park. 
And that's kind of what Micah is doing. He's saying, because of your sins, you were in Estes Park. But in reality, you're more like an Estes dump. And because God's judgment is coming, that's what you're going to be like. So God is going to take that thing that you value most and going to bring it down in judgment upon you. He's going to take your idol, and your idol is going to become the source of your punishment. We see uh, that kind of summed up in this quote. Micah uses deliberate puns to describe the ironic nature of the eventual destruction. The very thing that each place worships will be the source of its destruction and the place where its judgment is most clearly seen. We're judged by our own idols. Our idols lead to our destruction. Those things that we worship that are not God lead to consequences. And so I wanted to ask us, what are some of the idols we see in our world and in our culture? So you can take out your your slip now, your piece of paper that came in the bulletin. If you haven't already done so, you can take a moment and answer the question, what's an idol our culture worships? So why don't you just go ahead and take and just answer the first one. And then once you've answered the first one, we can answer the second question which is this, what's an injustice our culture commits? So what's an idol our culture worships and what's an injustice our culture commits? I'm gonna go ahead and let you keep thinking about that. You can write it down as... As, as it comes to your mind, um, at the end of the service, when the ushers pass the offering, if you would put that in the bag, that would be great. They'll get back to me that way. Um, I'm going to be looking at them and, and kind of hearing your answers. And this week, we're not really talking about injustice, but we will be talking about injustice next week. Uh, and throughout the, the course of our sermon series, and we'll also be talking about idols. And... I think it's important to kind of identify those idols and those injustices we see in our culture and in our world. And I think I certainly could get up here and just kind of list them off for us, right? But honestly, I want to hear what you have to say. What do you see as an injustice in this world? What do you see as an idol in this world? I want to know what we as a church have to say because it certainly can be the role of the pastor or the preacher to have kind of a prophetic voice in the church, but I think there's also a, a prophetic call to the church as a whole that we're to kind of be prophetic to the culture and to our world and say, here's truth, here's justice, let's seek that together in our society. So please write down your answer. Don't sign it. It, it will remain uh, anonymous with me, and then I might share some of the results in the coming weeks because I want to know what you have to say and then put it in the usher bag as it goes by. See, I believe there is a connection between our idols and our injustices. There's a connection between idols and injustices. See, it's those things that worship, that we worship, that define us. And as we begin to give ultimate allegiance to things that aren't as important as God, well, we begin to commit injustice because those things are what is most important to us, what's most important to me. And so uh, I'm going to share kind of... Uh, my answer to this question for this week, 
uh, just as an example. Maybe that'll spark something in, in, in you as you write down. But I, I asked a question about our community, our community of Westford specifically. And I, this isn't perhaps a popular thing to do, but I asked, what is the idol of Westford? And uh, as I was uh, getting lunch uh, at a Chinese restaurant with Bernie this week, my fortune cookie said this. It said, you are going to have a very comfortable old age. And I thought to myself, that's not so far off from what I think perhaps the idol of our community could be. Comfort, success, not just for us in elderly age, but in any age, right? We want to have success and comfort and safety for our kids, for our family. And those are not bad things, like academic excellence and, and financial success are not bad things. Those can be good things. But if they become ultimate things, they have become idols. And when we, when we create idols, there's always an injustice that comes along with them. We can't say that, that money is an, is an idol and there's no injustice that comes along with that. Or other examples, whatever you've written down on your sheet. And I actually think we have a, a little bit of information on a corresponding injustice in Westford. See, back when we were planting uh, Cornerstone Congregational Church, we asked our team members to interview various community organizations about community needs. And I think one of the most, most interesting interviews was with the Westford Housing Authority. And our team wrote up summaries of each of these interviews. And I just want to read a small segment from this interview. One thing she, the director of the Housing Authority, mentioned almost as an afterthought, but obviously something that is dear to her heart, was the lack of town support for affordable housing and that perhaps the churches could help. She said that the people in town, especially during town meetings, do not want affordable housing in their neighborhoods. They have biases against it and will speak out sharply against it in town meetings. She would love to have a member of the clergy or perhaps a group of clergy members from town that would stand up in a meeting and support the needs of this population. Perhaps if this happened, people might be more hesitant to be so harshly critical of it and be swayed to support it more. Wow, that's, a, that's like a, a deep uh, um, statement um, and something that I do think is important. And I can't say that we as a church like acted on this. I didn't act on it. I always thought, oh, I really should act on that, and then I forgot to, and I just pushed it off. So this week I emailed uh, the housing authority, and maybe they'll get back to me, and maybe something will come of it. But I, I think it's an example of if our idol, if our idol is the thing we, we care about the most uh, is comfort or safety or a, a nice community to be in, well, there's going to be an injustice that comes along that. If we, along with that. If we worship anything besides God, there's going to be a problem. There's going to be wrongdoing and hurt created. And so idolatry leads to injustice. And yet... Micah is not just a book of condemnation and judgment because it reflects our God. And our God is a good God who offers hope, offers restoration. And he just calls us to repent, repent of our idols and injustices. And I think if we look at the last verse, verse 16, we see that call. Shave your heads in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as the vultures for they will go from you into exile. So what is he saying? He's saying, humble yourselves, mourn, recognize your own sins, your, your own injustices, your own idols, and repent. 
believe the message and change your ways. Now, as we are opening this series in Micah, I hope that we will be brave enough to identify the idols and injustices together as a church in our nation, in our culture, in our community, in our church, and in ourselves. But remember, Micah was primarily speaking to the people of God, the nation of Israel. That means we should be most kind of thoughtful in examining of our own hearts as we think about ourselves as the people of God, the church. And what do we do when we recognize idols and injustices in our own lives? Well, we repent. Why Micah? So that we might experience renewed hope. We're going to close by watching a video from the Bible Project. It kind of gives the big picture of the book of Micah. And as we watch that video, I want you to notice that there are, there are segments of judgment. And God's saying, here's an idol, here's a sin. But the, the, the parts in the book that, that reflect God's promise of hope, they grow and they get bigger and bigger because that's who our God is. <laughs> he's loving and he's kind and he's always willing to forgive. And the most incredible thing is that this hope, it always leads to Jesus. <laughs> it always points to him, uh, that, that small little town where the Messiah, the Savior is going to be born who, who would one day take the consequences for our idols all these, all these consequences against these towns, like Jesus came and took. He wept for us. He, he, he experienced dust as he died and was laid in the tomb. He was cursed. He experienced our shame, our mourning, our disaster, and our pain. And if you repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus, like he takes the consequences for your idolatry and for mine. And that's the gospel message, and he gives us hope. He leads us to eternal life. So why Micah? Well, we're studying Micah so that we might know God better, recognize and repent of our idols and injustices, and experience renewed hope. Let's play the video from the Bible Project. 